I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast about everything for supply chain advantage. So let's begin. There are two things about the supply chain that all businesses need to know and understand. And those two things are the sources of value within your supply chains and your network and in the wider supply system and the sources of cost. What contributes cost in your supply chain and how can you monitor and control the cost? So those are two of the most important things to know. So you need data to do that. Understanding how value is created in your selected supply chain is essential. What assets are creating value for the organization, your supply chain partners, and the whole network, and for the total supply system? If you can answer this question, then you're part way to creating and achieving supply chain advantage. Cost should be viewed as something to monitor and control. Again, you'll need to differentiate between cost and investment, and you'll need to understand how cost builds up in the supply chain under examination. The distinction between cost and investment isn't always as simple as it sounds, because you will need cash, of course, to invest, or you'll have to fund it with debt or with fresh capital, and it is an expenditure But it's an investment because you hope to get the payback over a number of years. So it's not an immediate expense. So it won't hit the profit and loss account immediately because you're contributing a buildup of assets. Value is created by the activities performed to convert raw materials into work in process or work in progress before full conversion into finished goods for sale. The best way to explain this is by way of an example. Supposing I run a clothing factory to produce goods for sale in retail stores. When I start out, I'll need some premises, I'll have to have those to run a manufacturing operation, and I'll also need to acquire some machinery that may be fabric cutting equipment, sewing machines, and storage facilities for materials, work in progress, packing materials, and I'll need computers and any other equipment necessary to conduct business, mobile communications, and maybe some software, and so on and so forth. But there'll be various things, machinery and equipment, and other things I'll have to acquire. If I buy them, they're called fixed assets, and I'll need to decide the useful life for each of those items so as I can charge a proportion of their life in each production cycle. And this comes in the form of depreciation. It's an expense for using premises and machinery or any fixed asset. If I rent any items, then I simply have to put the expense in the profit and loss account for the period of the charge. So, for example, if I'm paying rent for a three-month period from January to March, then that's an expense for that period. These are period costs rather than product costs. Although, in essence, without the products, I wouldn't have those period costs, presumably. To produce clothes for sale, I'll need to hire people to make the clothes, and I'll need materials, fabric, thread, and trim, and I'll need the premises and the equipment, as discussed. There are essentially three input elements of cost which are materials, labour and overhead. So those are the three categories that most accountants would classify the costs into. Material and labour cost depends on the amount of material purchased and the labour cost is determined by how many people there are employed and the skill level determining their wage. Sometimes, of course, in piecework, where people are paid piece rates, they just get 
paid by the piece of work that they actually do. So you don't pay a weekly wage or a salary to those people. You simply pay a job rate or a piece rate. Overhead is where I need to charge for the use of premises and equipment I own. For those fixed assets, and I'll apportion some depreciation to production cost, any other premises or equipment that I rent will simply be a direct expense in the product cycle time period. So it's a time period charge rather than the product cost. Although ultimately, I mean, if I didn't make the products, I wouldn't have those costs. So let's turn attention to an accounting concept called value-added. And you'll hear lots of people talk about value-added in business, but I'm not sure they always fully understand the implications of value-added. It's a basic, simple concept. It's the difference between the input costs and the output costs. So it's two value points. If in our clothing factory we have input costs to the value of $10,000 for materials, labor, and overheads, and then we carry out the manufacture of those clothes in the process, and then we place a finished stock value, a finished goods value, on those items at $25,000, then the difference between the initial $10,000 cost and the value of the output at twenty-five is the value-added calculation. So it's essentially 25 minus 10. You've added $15,000 of value. But you should always remember that value added doesn't really exist until somebody pays you for the goods. Until the point at which the goods are sold, that value is notional and it's a cost. If nobody pays you, then you've incurred 10000 for the material labor and overhead and 15000 for the manufacturer. I want to discuss another financial concept called the total cost of ownership. The purchase price that we pay for any item is only one component of cost of the material, product or service. The total cost of ownership is important to understand because it represents not simply the purchase cost but other costs that comprise the ownership costs and the post-ownership costs are often ignored in analysis of cost. For example, a retailer purchasing stock for resale, buying SKUs, may simply decide to make the decision to buy on the basis of the cost price alone and the target margin that they want to achieve. The target margin, or the intake margin, as it's often referred to, assumes paramount importance, but it may often ignore a raft of other costs that make up the total cost of ownership. Manufacturers purchase materials as inputs to a manufacturing process, and they're able to easily identify the purchase cost, because that's on the invoice. But the additional ownership cost may be ignored. In service environments, the position is similar. Organisations may purchase insurance or other services and overlook additional costs and benefits when making the decision. Total cost of ownership is an important concept and it eventually falls into three specific categories. 
acquisition, ownership, and post-ownership. The focus for many purchasing decisions is simply on the first category, the acquisition cost. The overemphasis on this category is likely to lead to flawed decision-making. There's been lots of work done by researchers to understand this particular cost. A total cost of ownership analysis is time-consuming to perform, and generally it's not worthwhile for low-value or low-impact items. It's an approach that can bring benefit for larger-value or higher-impact items. Systems and procedures need to be set up to capture the cost data easily. You don't want to have to go and capture that data separately. It's a useful continuous improvement tool and a useful means of strategic cost analysis. Total cost of ownership is a way of thinking about the procurement decision. Total cost of ownership applies a number of different concepts to the analytical process, such as the net present value, the product pricing and costing, the operational cost in owning the items, and various other costs in the ownership. Total cost of ownership analysis will inevitably involve managing a number of trade-off situations to achieve a minimum cost. Employees working in key areas of the supply chain should identify total cost of ownership analysis, and the detail may differ between different organizations. The analysis may include product design, value engineering, value analysis techniques, manufacturing infrastructure costs, machines, equipment, storage and transport facilities, make or buy decisions, either you outsource or self-manufacture, the responsiveness of first, second and third level tiers of suppliers in the supply chain, any taxes, duties and quota limits, transport costs, times, legal and regulatory costs, for example, drawing up the contract, foreign exchange risk, inventory risk, relocation, damage, obsolescence, shrinkage, political and economic stability of dealing in different countries, cost of quality, and so on. So let's look at each of those three costs that we talked about, the acquisition cost, the ownership cost, and the post-ownership cost. Acquisition cost, purchase price paid, that's the invoice price on the contract. Planning costs, these are costs incurred in planning and acquisition. And sometimes these are overlooked and they can be considerable, especially if it's a complicated arrangement. Quality costs might be higher than the initial purchase price because you have to do some re- rework on the item or you have to um, re-engineer the, the purchase item when it comes into your ownership. Taxes often represent some kind of hidden charge and hidden cost in the process if you haven't worked out your customs duties and tariff penalties and so on, and you haven't worked out additional costs of crossing from different trade agreement regions and through free trade zones, etc. And then there might be financing costs to finance a particular purchase of material inventory. You might have to take out some kind of loan if it's a major capital purchase. And during your period of ownership, there are other costs that you need to consider. And they fall into five particular categories of cost. And they are risk, cycle time costs, the conversion cost, the non-value added, and the cost of the supply network. So there are five costs that you need to consider. So risk costs in owning a product might revolve around trade-off costs about maintaining excess inventory to satisfy possible customer demand and avoid stockouts. So in other words, you incur just-in-case inventories because a supplier might be less 
reliable or there's a problem in the market with supply because of a location or some other issue that's happening. How dependable is that supplier? And that's another risk to consider. And then there are cycle time costs. So the faster you can move throughput through your supply network will reduce the time cost elements. So those things that we talked about earlier in terms of period costs, if you can move things through faster, then the period costs will actually be less in the ownership cycle. Then there's a cost of conversion. That's converting the items you've bought into your own product to as a manufacturing process. And then, of course, you have to consider non-value-added costs, such as unnecessary movements, double handling, poor facility layout, poor scheduling, duplication of process, inefficient processes, and random routing of materials and material flows, rather than a systematic routing that reduces time and distance travelled. The Japanese Kaizen approach requires the identification of unevenness in production flows, the Mura, the difficulty in conducting operations, the Murai, and waste, Muda. The objective is to remove obstacles or blockages that cause unevenness, improving processes for smoother operations. And those fall into the cost that we might have missed on the purchase invoice. Some suppliers cost us more to deal with than others. And of course, there's the supply network costs. That brings us to supply network costs. So what does it cost to deal with a particular supply network as opposed to another supply network? And we have to weigh that up and balance that with our cost of ownership. And then, of course, there's the final part, which is the post-ownership costs. Post-ownership cost has been easier to identify in capital purchases because there's a salvage value or a disposal cost. That's clearly identified and established. But today there's more risk involved and there's more litigious practices in place with armies of chasing lawyers waiting for the opportunity to scavenge a deal by winning cases for customers based upon environmental disasters, product liability, failed warranties or simply customer dissatisfaction. So we have to weigh up what the possible risks are in the post-ownership costs when we enter a contract for procurement. So I hope that's given you some ideas of the things to consider under the concept of total cost of ownership. And you need to look beyond just the purchase price of the items you're buying. So before next time, if you want to drop by the Tony Hines blog, you will see an article related to this podcast and you can read at leisure. So bye for now. See you next time. You've been listening to Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage, written and presented by Tony Hines. (laughs) 